0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's what Jesus says. If you go to the University of Texas at Austin, or the main building, you walk underneath the front of that main entrance, it'll say some of that. It'll say the truth will set you free. And that's what Resurrection Sunday is, at, is all about. It is about It is about knowing this truth that will set you free. That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. And and talk about truth, just the the sheer amount of truth that is revealed in Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did it in such a spectacular fashion that he wanted to make sure everyone would have an opportunity to trust in what he said would happen on that day. In other words, if it was a crime scene, you wouldn't have to be a Columbo to figure out that Jesus left evidence everywhere to prove that he died a violent and grotesque death, but in three days he rose again and appeared to many people. He appeared to 500 men alone so that everyone would know that he was who he said he was. But three of them I particularly like to draw attention to because the writers of the biographies of Jesus draw attention to them. One says that he appeared to Peter, the man who denied him three times earlier. He appeared to Thomas. We'll talk a little bit more about him in just a minute. But Thomas, doubting Thomas, the one who said, look, I'm not going to believe it till I see him with my own eyes and put my finger in his side. Okay. We can arrange that. And then James, some of you might not know, but James is like the half brother of Jesus. And, he, and if you can imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother, you probably wouldn't think that some of the things he promised were gonna be true about him being the Messiah. And so Jesus just made a, a special appearance to, to James. And in one of the apocryphal books, it says, uh, I told you so, mom likes me best. So, <laughs> I don't, but that's, it didn't make that into the Bible for some obvious reasons. <laughs> it didn't say that. <laughs> why so much evidence, though? That's not the theme of today's talk. There's a lot of time we could spend uh, numerous um, meetings together just talking about the forensic evidence or or other uh, types of evidence that was left behind with this resurrection. But today, I, you know, one of the things that I, makes me wonder about um, the recklessness of the evidence is why so, why so much. And I, I think that there's at least three reasons. That, um, that there's so many accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Um, early on, soon after his resurrection, it was recorded. One was because I think it's God showing off. Um, if, you, if you write the play, you can interject in the play. If you, um, you can suspend the rules if you write the rules. Let's put it that way. Uh, in, in the movie Avatar, I know it's been a while since you saw it, but remember Avatar? They had, they had floating mountains. Do you know why? Because when you write a movie, you can have floating mountains, that's why. And so, there's part of this, the part of the resurrection is, is God saying, I don't have to play by the rules that you live under. Death has no power over me, and I'll show that. Your worst enemy gets kicked around and is my footstool, because I say so. Another reason I think that there's a lot of evidence about Christ's appearance after his resurrection is for doubters. Doubters like you and me that have a difficult time sometimes in our our faith journey, walking with Jesus, and we find we find that we're um, not alone so much in in wanting to have a, a, a Thomas moment. For all, so it's for Thomas and all the descendants of of Thomas of doubting Thomas. I mean, if the sheer number of of statues and paintings that have been. Um, artistically developed over the years, ought to say something about the mass of people that need the doubting Thomas experience, where where he gets to put his hand on the risen Jesus Christ, put his finger in his side, so that he can continue to live by faith. Because here's the thing: when you follow Christ and you want to live absolutely all of your life for Him, you're going to find it's expensive. It's expensive in multiple ways. It's, it's, it's expensive to your ego. It, you find yourself needing to be humble and humiliated, and that's part of the course to make you a better human being, to make you more like the ambition is to be like Jesus Christ. Your life will change. You'll find yourself evolving into hilarious generosity and scandalous levels of forgiveness, and it will be in those times when you're making a choice that you'll wonder, did he Did he come back from the dead? And it's for those moments, before we write checks or write letters of apology or whatever it might be, it is for those moments that God in his, in his kindness foresaw you and me in our doubting moments and said, look, I'm gonna make sure that you remember he appeared to 500 men, to three men that didn't wanna see him or were afraid to see him. It's, it's there. But the third reason that I think that there is so much information about Jesus after his death and resurrection is because of, of it is proof that he stands in, a, in different, as a different kind of man. Because Jesus was a great teacher, absolutely. There have been great teachers. He was, he was extremely forgiving and loving without any prejudice. There have been other men and women that are loving without prejudice. The resurrection says that's all true, but he is completely, it is the pinnacle of proof that demands us to say that he is different in kind. It it, it puts him in a category all by himself in his teachings and the things that he promised. I'm not one to quote Napoleon Bonaparte, but he says this rather succinctly. He says, "He says I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is no is not a man. Superficial minds see resemblances between Jesus and uh, founders of empires and other and the gods of other religions. The resemblance does not exist. There is uh, there is between Christianity and other religions a distance, and that distance is infinity." The distance is because Jesus taught a different kind of teaching, and he promised different kinds of promises. When he taught about teaching, his teachings, they were mostly to the the most part. He said to us that a lot of our values, most of our values, maybe for some of us, all of our values, all the things we consider important, the way we perceive the world around us, are the wrong side up. And his Sermon on the Mount is known for doing that to people, and especially what's called the Beatitudes, where he just lists values, and he's saying, all the things you hide from and are afraid of are the things you ought to be pursuing. Those are actual blessings. And so his teachings certainly showed that he was teaching from a different point of view, one who had been to heaven and wanted to tell us what really mattered after our death. But that's not for today either. Today is, has to do with his promises. And particularly this one promise, and the promise is this, that Jesus would be the reason that we would receive forgiveness from God. Jesus sets himself apart from other religions in that he gives us an ambition that is, is beyond our, our ability to imagine. He gives us a hope that we're afraid to hope for, and that is that we would be absolutely resolved of any debt towards God, Because we know we we have a debt towards God, but we can't pay it. And Jesus comes in and he says, the forgiveness that you'll have with God is going to be provided from God through me. And the resurrection is proof that our debt to God was paid in full. Because here's, here's, here's this thing that we long for. We long so desperately for innocence, don't we? We, we long to be right with God. We, we long to have innocence again. And, we, and then hopefully each of us, everyone has in their life a Lady Macbeth moment, a Lady Macbeth moment. It's, it is this moment when we, start to, when we come to realize that we are poignantly aware that the nature of what operates our, our existence, our soul, our spirit, is not bent, it is broken and it's not just the things we have done in acts of rage or passion it is the fact that if we could be assured that we would not get away with any with any choice the choices would be limitless to our depravity it is it, again it is that awakening that poignant awakening that we are evil we are we, and we can't get fixed and, I mean, I call it the Lady uh, Macbeth moment because, as you know, maybe from the play, you might have read it or seen it, uh, where Lady Macbeth is the brains and mostly the brawn behind killing this king so that her husband could take that throne. And she says early on, right, that, that she says, oh, a little bit of water will, will wash us from this deed. She thinks it's a simple thing to overcome. She's going to get away with this. And every, every person that's involved with possibly being a witness to this is killed or chased away. But a little water can't wash it away. And there goes the quotes, right? Out. Damned spot out. What will ever wash this free? Ah, the smell. The, small, the smell. All the perfumes in Arabia could not make this hand smell sweet again. Wash your hands. Get dressed. Don't be pale. I'll tell you again, no one will ever know. She can't live with it. And there's no actions that can make that right. And we have that rattling around inside of us. And if the music in our lives stops long enough, we can find ourselves trying to wash. Just wash your hands, get your suit on, go to work, and I'll tell you again, no one will know. So we stay busy or distracted or medicated, but we know there is power in innocence, We know there is unlimited capacity for love if we're unshackled from guilt. We know if we had intimacy with God, we could be forgiving in ways that that would be spectacular. And so we want this, but we know we can't have it because we can't get it. And so the writers of the Bible... In the Old Testament, the leading up to the life of Christ and then after His resurrection, they speak in past tense. They give us these pictures of what could be, these things to hope in, and they they paint pictures for us so that we can visualize them. I've put three sections of scriptures in your Bible in your in your bulletin here, just for you to take home, so you can so you you can memorize these. I want here's your assignment. I'm going to show you how to imagine them. And I want you to write a story in your mind to fill in the gaps of what could be as a definition of forgiveness for you. The first one is in Isaiah. It says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So look what he says. He says, he says, your dress up your skin or your soul like it's crimson, Like, right? Does it say crimson? Yeah, your sins are scarlet. And, and at least at our, we have a suburban. And I, I picture sin in my life as being this, one of the largest vehicles made in America, in the history of America. And it happens to be maroon. It is scarlet. It is my sin, and for so many of us, that is the way we live. It is the thing that brings us places. It is the thing that carries us from point A to point B. We shine it up. We think everyone sees it because it's so obvious. We park it on our driveway at night. We close the blinds as we go to bed, and we look out, and we say, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'll dream of you all night, living with the regret and the depravity of who I am and how I can't shake this. And this will be my albatross, my anchor for my entire life, this giant display of who I really am, this spot, this damned spot. And what does the passage say? The passage says that while you slumber, God presents to you as a gift. God does this. He gives you one of these New England snowstorms, 10 feet, poof. You come outside. You can't go outside. You need a two-story house to go upstairs and look out the window, and see what—nothing but virgin white snow, for as far as you can see. There's nothing in your driveway. It's all been covered. Imagine the second part of that, where it just says uh, that your red is red crimson, but you shall be wool. You you go in. Um, um, to your, the closet, the wardrobe of your, of your spirit and it's, and it's red and burgundy and crimson and red and blood red and wine red and then you close it and then God cast a spell over that wardrobe and you open it up and it's, and it's just virgin wool. Like it's a wedding gown to meet a king. And that's, what he, that's the promise here. And, and, and the point is the resurrection... Proves that Jesus paid the debt to cover your sin and make it white as snow. The resurrection is proof that Jesus paid the debt to make you clean like wool. Look at the next set of verses there. It says um, in Jeremiah 31, It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is a very difficult thing for God to say because he knows all things. (laughs) So it's a figure of speech. He knows everything. He knows everything that has happened and will happen. He knows the things that won't happen but could happen. And he says here, this is my promise to you that I I will make it, God will make it so that I won't bring this up anymore. I won't remind you of what you've done against your fellow man and against my nature as being holy. And the, and the resurrection, here's the point. These are all leading up to the resurrection. The resurrection is proof that Christ's death paid all of our debts so that God wouldn't remind us in our conversations with him. We can have intimacy with him, and we're not constantly reminded of what we're not. We're only being reminded of who we are. The next sentence there, it says, uh, in Psalm 103, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love of God, his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed the transgressions from us. It is his love that motivates this activity that's going on. Jesus Christ died for our sins and wrote us again to prove it. But here it says this. It's interesting. There's about 12,500 miles between the North Pole and the South Pole. So there's a limited distance. There's no limit to the distance between east and west. And he has separated us from our sin so that he can be near us. And the resurrection is proof that Christ paid the debt to God so that it would separate us from our sin and draw us near to him. Who would you be without guilt or shame or sin or regret? That's who you are meant to be. And the resurrection proves that it can be made true. How does that happen? I mean how, right? I mean, how can we have the Lady Macbeth experience that is probably the, the truest thing that we'll ever reflect on about ourselves? And how can we be made right? How do we get the spot out? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat simple justice. It's, it's, a lawyer could tell you how this works, that there is a debt that you owe to God for the crimes against him, your transgressions and violations of the way you're supposed to live and even the way you're supposed to be. And, Jesus, and God is just, and that means he has to collect on debts. If he's not just, there's no such thing. And so there is a debt that you owe, and, G, and God is a debt collector because that's what justice means. And then the third thing is that Jesus comes and says, I will pay your debt. I will make your debt go away by paying for it, not by looking the other way, not by ignoring it, but rather writing the check that you owe to God. And the resurrection is proof. Everybody hopes that somebody could do that for them. But the resurrection is proof that your debts are paid and and now you're right with God. That's the point. It is Freedom Day. The Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, it is Freedom Day. You are free from debt. You, do, you are unattached to the things that hold you down. You have intimacy with God. You are covered as with virgin snow. Your sins are forgotten, and they are separated from you, as East is from the West. That's what the day is about. What happens for a lot of people... A lot of people come to church on Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, because they need to be reminded of this, because they don't believe it. They, they don't make eye contact at church. They don't get involved in ministries. They don't engage in reckless expressions of generosity or forgiveness. They, they hold their heads down. They walk sheepishly. In an honest interview, they would say, if I could get to heaven, that would be great. I would be happy to slide in under a gate somehow. But you don't know where I've been. This is how the conversations, they always roll out like this. You don't know where I've been. You have no concept of what I've done. In these actions of passion or petty you know, um, vengeance, I have ruined people's lives. I have slandered the name of God. And so I don't I don't I can't live confidently knowing about forgiveness. And so I can I've learned to adapt and I understand that I am damaged goods, I'm on the B team and I don't count for much and I've resolved to live that way. And resurrection Sunday says there's no there's no category for that person. Because I, I want to spend just a time on this because I think this is one of the points of emphasis. And it was part of our video as well. Is let's, Can we just take your sin and put it over here and let's not talk about you so much? And do you know who you are and how bad you can be? Let's, can we just put that over here? Time, just put it in time out for a second. Can we talk a little bit about the death of Jesus? It's not that he died. That's part of it, to pay your debt. It is how he died. That you need to think about. If you stop thinking about you and we start thinking about how he died, then maybe you could become confident that you have been cleaned, that you that your sins are forgotten, that you're separated from your transgressions. And I I, I won't go into you know the details of this today because of our children. (laughs) But Jesus didn't fall as He didn't die while sleeping and dreaming happy thoughts of heaven. He died a violent and grotesque death, death that was without mercy on purpose. It was premeditated by the Father that he endure this so that you and I would know that the debt was paid in full. And if you would just, again, let me um, elaborate on just a second. If, if, you go to, if you go to Jerusalem sometime, I hope that you could go and take a tour of the last few days of the life of Jesus before his resurrection. Because in that, you'll, you'll just kind of walk through um, his trials and his beatings. And when you go to the place where he's beaten in this fortress that would, would be open air at the time and it would be overlooking um, the walls of, of the old city, it, it, is, it is where the Roman guard was hired to express the perfection of their trade, the crucifixion. It's called the living death. And these men were especially killed in inflicting the most amount of excruciating pain while keeping the victim alive. And they would, they would tie leather straps, again, I'll, I'll be brief and vague, but they would, they would have leather straps with bones and glass, and they would beat these men, not to death, that would come later, but to near death. And there's one part in there where, where this is actually taking place, and it's clear that it's taking place because carved into the stone floor is a game called the Game of the King. And this is what it is. This is what it looks like. That is a picture of the floor. And I want you to stare at that because I want you to see what we see when we go on occasion when we go there the Game of the King. Because these men were not just beating the Christ, they were making a game of it, and they would roll dice to see who would get to beat him and with what instrument. And it's called the game of the king not because Christ is king, but because they would mock the person, and it was, <laughs> it was a demented form of pretty, pretty princess. They would dress this person up like a king, putting on a crown or a cape or a scepter. And when I would say put it on, I meant beat it on. And we ask people to stare at this and and to make a memory of it and to just encapsulate this game board into their mind to stare at it So that the next time they want to go out the second story window with a shovel and dig up their red suburban so that they could remember and show the world their sin, that they would remember this game. The next time that they would like to re-dye all of their virgin wool and soak it in blood red wine because they think that's what they deserve, they would go back to this game that was used to kill their king. The next time they wanted to remind God what he chose to forget, they would go back and see that they mocked the one who made them. When they're chasing their sin to the east because they feel more comfortable with their sin than they are in the presence of God, they would see what happened on Friday. Because people... People that doubt that the resurrection proves that our debt was paid in full need this tattooed on some part of their body where there's regular access so that they can always be reminded the debt was paid. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I know what Jesus has done, and I know what he has been through. And I think your debt is paid. And if this game were 900 years of perfecting the art of human torture practiced by the best in the industry and made into a game of entertainment, if, if, if that doesn't cover you, what does? If on Friday when they're rolling the dice, On that day, if that were not the day that Jesus said, I will remember your sins no more, what day? What day are you waiting for? If this beating did not separate you from the cost of your sin, then what would it take? You see, Resurrection Sunday is this. It is the day that it, it, is, it is proof that the resurrection, the resurrection is proof that the debt that we owed to God was paid by Jesus Christ and paid in full, and we are white as snow. Our sins are forgotten, and we are separated as east is from the west. Resurrection Sunday says you are free you are free. You're not better, you're new. You've been made well by someone else, and now you live with no guilt, no shame, no regret. You stand before God as his child. This is the day. I want you to think about this. I'll give you two choices today. This is how we're going to apply. We have two choices today. Would you consider this? One, Have you ever made the choice to give up trying to be polite and be good to earn your indebtedness off? You're barely making interest payments. You still think a little water will rid you from this deed? Do you? Or is today a day that's special in your life and because of some of the things we've talked about that you've realized, and I would say God is tugging on you saying, stop, let me in there. I will pay this debt for you, and I'll prove it. I'll raise him from the dead. Have you ever chosen to no longer try to be good, but to just receive by faith? You're just trusting that the promises of Christ are true, and this promise particularly that his death was payment for your sin. I want you to think about doing that today. That's one. That's one option before us. Two. I'm gonna shake my fingers. You know, some of you headhangers, mumblers, not so sure, weak at the knees. You don't know what I've done. Would you put a stop to that today? Would you quit it? Would you run out maybe and get a poster of the game of the king and hang it on a wall? tack it on your dashboard, ink it into your forearm. I don't know, make it part of your family crest. But could you stop today? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof. The death, the way of death is proof that your debt is paid. The resurrection is proof that the payment cleared. (laughs) and you're white as snow, your sins are forgotten, and you're separated from that. Would you make a choice today? Look, in your cards, in your, in your bulletin here, look, there's, there's a tear-off. I, I would like for you to seriously consider filling this out. Seriously consider filling this out, and, and maybe checking one of these boxes, you know, at the bottom that says, look, I I'm considering becoming a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm considering being a Christian and would like to learn more about this. I mean, this is so new and rather mind blowing. Yes, it is. I'm a young believer. I need help trying to live consistently. I'm an established believer. I trust God to forgive me. But I want to make sure I'm growing. I'm going the right direction. I keep falling back. I keep forgetting. I keep. Could you fill that card out, if you would? Maybe God's telling you to do that. That little nudge that you feel, that might be God. Put it in the plate. We'll try to get back to you if you would like. You can bring it up to the visitor center today at, at the end of our time together. Listen, almost 30 years ago or so, um, I was in a, I was in my dorm, and I had my lady big math moment. And it was interesting because it was it was um, it was the straw that broke the back. It wasn't much. Um, I, I I had a relationship with a girl that was rather short, but I I just left her at a, an event and didn't bring her home and. And kind of put her in a very difficult situation. She lived in Dallas. It was extremely selfish. Uh, That's my entire universe. Everything was about me all the time. And uh, Saturday morning, uh, I woke up. It was a Friday night event, and she was in Dallas, and she said, Matt, um, you left me. I said, oh, yeah, it was a big event. I kind of lost you in the crowd. A lie. She knew it was a lie. She said, no, no, you left me. And so I don't I don't see why we would need to continue this relationship if you do something like that. So she hung up and I hung up the phone and I couldn't get the spot out. I mean it was like it was like the last ten years of choices were all covering my hands, you know, and I couldn't get it out. And, you know I, was, I, I, you know, I almost never missed church. And I went to, during Lent, I went to mass almost every day. And I was doing all these things, but I couldn't get the spot. of water was not going holy water wasn't going to get this out. And a friend of mine uh, gave me this little booklet that explained what we did today, what we just went through today, about the resurrection was proof that Jesus' death paid the debt and that forgiveness was a gift, not something I earned. I read that, and I read that, and I read I couldn't believe it was true, but I knew I wasn't working. And I knew, and I, I, knew I had accumulated this debt, and I knew the nature of my soul was to continue to, just, to make terrible decisions in my own image. And so I read it, and I said, oh, dear God, every decision for the is 20 years old, every decision for the last 20 years was all about me. The next 20 years are going to be all about you. I want you to die for me because this is killing me. I just cried and cried, as I felt forgiveness and freedom and innocence. And then I got up after I ran out of tears. Went down the hall. We had a community bath in the dorm and washing my face. And you know, so I was coming back down the hallway and I was trying to keep my head down because I didn't want to. See if, I don't know if my eyes were swollen or not, you know. And this other guy, it was a guy's dorm. He's coming the other way and he looks at me and he says, "Matt, what, what's, what's with you? Oh man, you know." I, Caught me crying. Um, (laughs) I said, I "I don't know, because you just look light. I was free. The truth will set you free. Will you give your dirty, rotten soul to Jesus Christ so that he might give you one that's holy and white and spotless, it's a good trade. Resurrection Sunday. That's why we sing so loud and happy here. Let's do that again. Dear Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you invaded our world of sin, not our world, like my world of sin, my individual soul, and said, I'll get out that spot. I, I can make that hand smell sweet. All the perfume and perfumes in Arabia couldn't do it, but I can. You need not pretend. You can just be mine. Lord, I pray for people today on Resurrection Sunday, if they've never understood that, that today would be the day they understand that forgiveness comes from you as a gift, and the gift came in the bloody death of Jesus Christ, and the payment was made in and proved by his resurrection, Lord Jesus, I ask that these people would trust you in a new way. And I'd ask that you'd give them a very special experience of innocence renewed, guilt-free, separation from their alienation from you. And the people here, Lord, that, that know these things and have trusted you, and yet they're still hanging their heads, God, have your spirit lift their chin, have their shoulders roll back, have them know this truth is here to set them free from their doubt. God, give them the confidence that they are not damaged goods. They are a man that's a prince and a woman that's a princess in your eyes. We pray these truths in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.